You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. And this is Zeba Hassan. Um, how are you doing? Why are you, first of all, why are you wearing a sweatshirt? It is 64 in degrees Arizona. outside. 64. Give it is me cold. A, a it is break. winter. You don't need to be wearing, <laughs> you don't, it, that is not winter. For, uh, in Arizona was my caveat. Okay? Oh my God. 64 <laughs> is what I have my heat at right now. In oh, the DMV. No. We are, we are at 70 because the house colder than 70. Like oh, my husband can't sleep. No. It makes my skin dry. I don't know how you can handle we it. We moisturize twice a day with sunscreen. <laughs> well, so I, I do like, I literally look at what I've been doing. I've been putting lotion on. I'm so dry. I hate the heat. The heat is so bad for me. But isn't it humid there even in the winter? No. Really? Hmm. I mean, do you not know how winter, you need to like. It's been a long time since winter. I've been to winter in the DC and I'm very yes. happy for that gap. So. Yeah, you're like, I'm happy. I'm happy. So tell me a little bit about what what you have been up to, because I feel like we don't really get to chat so much because we're so crazy busy doing our own independent projects. Yeah, I did want to talk about uh, a recent self-care thing that I did. Um, You know that I am not cheap with the money I spend on myself because that is literally how I kept myself alive. I absolutely attribute my massages and spa treatments to why my children are still alive because people say happy wife, happy life. I'm like happy mom, happy kid, you know, like you've got to be happy as a mom in order for your kids to be happy because we always say it all the time. And this is why we have the retreats now fill your own cup retreats, because if you don't fill your own cup, you ain't got nothing to pour on anybody else. And everybody needs to be poured onto by mother. So we're mothering mothers so that mothers can go and do their jobs better. And inshallah, we're hoping in that way we get a little bit of hasana. But my journey was to an actual hammam in the United States. So for those who don't know what a hammam is, a hammam is, so what I have heard from my North African friends, they, uh, it's like a community bathhouse and you're sitting on these marble slabs and all the, you know, khaltos and dons from the community are all out there. So like, you're just sitting there like buck naked or can you? Some of them are, not all of them, not all of them. They're hiding. I know exactly. But that's the community experience. And then your butt naked is on the the marble thing. Like, do they clean it in between? Yes, they clean it. They clean it very well in between, but it's done because you can take a bath every single day. We make wudu five times a day. So water is not a stranger to us Muslims, but we're so into cleanliness that we also need to exfoliate like from head to foot, like every piece of dirt on your body. My North African friends were like, you know, is there a hammam here? Because, oh my God, we haven't gone to the hammam in like two years and we're so dirty. And I'm like, why you shower? And they're like, no, back home. If you don't go to the hammam at least once a week, you are dirty. And I'm like, oh, well, then I must be filthy. So we have the Indian version of the sandstone pocked marked clay thing that our dads and moms used to use on us that took off a few layers of skin. It's called a jala. I never, I never got that. Like you'll have to show I'll me. Show, it, it is a torture device. My... I have PTSD from I that read, I read, I, I read that front in Rabia's book and Take I was literally like, what off. is oh, this? It wasn't fatty, fatty, boom, boom. Yes. Yeah. So that torture device was used on me as a child, which is why- I have remained dirty 
until I went to Oasis Moroccan Bath in Houston, oh Texas, which has authentic hammam rituals. However, in the privacy of your own marble slab in your oh, own room, with see, your therapist, so that's, your that's called the American same. way. Yeah. That's called the American <laughs> way. I don't want to be buck naked in front yes. of everybody. I don't care if you're my Muslim sister. You don't need to see that. Yeah. I don't need to see that. So now okay, I took my daughter and my daughter is oh. very much into a me. We are going back. We must go back oh. every month for this because I don't want to be dirty. Okay. I created a monster. I, I <laughs> love that. And I love that you're doing self-care because, you know, that's my main thing with mothering. But for our audience, you don't have to fly to Houston and get the hammam <laughs> no, and do all that. You can do you simple should. things. <laughs> you should and you can and you should treat yourself. However, you can do mindfulness breaks during the day. You can go for a walk in the sun. There are... Uh, affordable, smaller versions of self-care that do not have to be. You can get a JAMA, which is really like 10 cents. I don't even know what that is. That torture device I told you about that, that Robbie used. So you are going to have to show me that because I have literally never seen that before Mm -hmm. in my life. And I would love to hear about it. So, so for the moms listening, please, please treat yourself. But every day self-care is huge. And that means as simple as taking a shower by yourself. And I'm not into the baths because I couldn't consider that human stew, but if it floats for you, if it works for you, it, it floats your you. boat. Okay. If it, literally, if it floats your boat, have fun, but I'm not, even my kids, when they take a bath, this is not a joke. I make them shower first and then take, a I bath. make them shower after I'm that mom. Yeah. Because I'm cause you're just sitting in your dirt. I love that we went down that part because, you know, part of what we're doing is, you know, we're, we started off December with kind of discussion, discussing like, you know, functional medicine for Muslim mental health. Like it's all about different types of hot topics for the mental health um, community in the, within the mental health community and kind of giving voice to the things that we as mothers have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, our next, we're going to switch gears a little bit because our next guest, you know, she talks about the unrealistic expectations of motherhood, something that really can set us all off, right? We're supposed to be Instagram ready, <laughs> super sweet, never screw. Like my, my kids said, actually said to me this morning, mama, you know how you always say you're going to spank my butt, but never actually do. And I was like, God, I oh, actually might do that. Yeah. yeah. And he, and he was like, we just think it's so funny, but you know, as a mom, we do and say things that we probably shouldn't be doing and saying <laughs> because we're just trying to survive during the day. So, you know, we end up on an emotional roller coaster. That's the truth of it. And it's completely, it's a completely avoidable. So our guest today will help us kind of detangle some of that. And she is very well known in the community, Salam. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit t- to Sadaf Wine. She is a Kashmiri C- Canadian mom of, guess what, everybody? Triplets. Yeah. Um, yes, I said that. Triplets. Um, mashallah. Mashallah. Yeah, she is a serial entrepreneur. Currently, she is the director of strategy and development at the Droplets of Mercy. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. She's also the head of marketing at Halal Meals. I'm hungry just even reading <laughs> that. You may also know Sadaf as a business coach who helps Muslim women start and grow their businesses when she's not working, which is probably hardly ever based on her Instagram account. I have to say she's always on the go, this woman. You can find her creating unique community events, taking a watercolor class. We're going to have to talk to her about that or wandering around local handmade markets with her husband, kids and support makers. At the same time, she is really about how hard motherhood is outsourcing stuff 
That is not motherhood. I'm very big on that. And finding the sukun in between. And we are so thankful to have Sadaf on the show today. Assalamu alaikum, Sadaf. Hello. Welcome to the Thanks for having me. We are super stoked to start this conversation because... Um, before we do, oh. can we ask her if she is a, a human stew person or she's oh, not yeah. a human stew person? <laughs> okay. Just before we even get started. That's like a completely different question that we start with. But yes, what is I your know. take I on I just want to know this. So no. first of all, I did make some notes about that Oasis Hamam song. Okay, good. Oh, good. Yeah, so she is a pro. Because she I'm pro. fully visiting Houston soon. So I'm going, going there. Um, and I do take baths for my self-care. So okay. I'm a human stew person. But Yay, then I... Like okay. Me, can yeah. You guys, I just it's two to three it's two to one it's okay it's okay (laughs) sorry about that I just had to know yeah yeah I think you're you're definitely in a minority because the rest of us are okay with the stew because Mm -hmm. we shower after the stew is over because you know you got to get the little wormies off of you and all the bath salts out of the places that you don't want them stuck so see that just creeps The real question we kicked the podcast off with is tell us a little bit about your mom's story, whatever you're comfortable sharing with and about your kids, and then a little bit about your momming philosophy. Ooh, okay, juicy. So um, in terms of my mom's story, I mean, obviously, I have triplets. So my mom's story kind of started when I thought I was having twins, and then they turned into triplets and and really just uh, got really, really tough from from there. So um, it's it's kind of a unique story. You typically see people who are really excited about their pregnancies and their birth story. And for me, it was just when my anxiety really took a turn for the the worst and and my depression too because I didn't think any of them would were gonna make it so um, it, it's kind of been a, a, a tough five years my kids are five and a half years old right now so it's been really tough um, there was postpartum depression in between um, a lot of outsourcing and um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that it's it's not you're never going to solve you know this you're never going to solve motherhood you're never going to be um, feeling like you're you've kind of got everything all together you just have to know that you've done hard things and you're going to continue to to do hard things so that's kind of kind of my mom's story and in terms of my mommying philosophies um, I'm all about outsourcing anything and everything that is not actually motherhood. So I don't do laundry. I don't typically clean the the house. Um, I don't even get my kids ready in the morning. So I've outsourced as much as I can so that I can be emotionally present for my kids and play with them and and do all the things that I think they're going to remember. That speaks to my heart so much because that was something that I early on had to tell my husband, who's not very particular about anything, but he was like, the house should be clean. And I was like, listen, you can have a house or you can have children alive. You pick. I can't do both. I can do what? Like, I literally can do one or the other because like you, um, I also struggled with postpartum depression and psychosis. And there's just certain things that it was like a mental block for me. I could not get over the overwhelm of housekeeping. It was like, it was enough to like keep make me feel like I had to stay in bed. Um, cause I didn't want to get up and face that, but getting up and like feeding my kids and doing all of that, I could. And I'm so glad you learned it early and you did it early because I think since we're talking about Muslim mental health topics, probably served your mental health in a big way to outsource a lot of that stuff early on. Correct. Absolutely. And, and my, um, my journey of really 
addressing my mental health issues started with um, the the birth of my kids. Because before that, I definitely explored um, mental health, but not in the way that I've done since since having kids. Because the truth is, if if you don't take care of your mental health, you can't take care of anyone. You you can't take care of yourself. You can't take care of anyone or anything. So um, yeah, definitely something that's super important to me. Yeah, I was really proud about being a very high functioning, successful person. And nothing ever scared me. And then I had kids and I was scared of everything. Like everything made me anxious. And I was like, who am I? So it definitely throws your identity for a curve too. And if you don't get therapy, therapy, and therapy, um, you're just going to be stuck in that rut for a really, really long time. So um, there's a couple of things that you've posted about, and they really spoke to us at Mommy One Muslim. And so we're going to ask you to talk about kind of the uh, the origin of how that, that evolved, like your mommying posts, like where did they come from? Because you're a business coach. That's, you know, while you do do work for uh, droplets of mercy right now as a business coach, who's elevated so many Muslim women in the business spaces and as entrepreneurs, uh, where did the mommying come in? Is that something that was inspired by your clients or inspired by your own experience? Kind of share, uh, the origin of that. Yeah, it was a a mix of both, for sure. Um, At first, I just felt kind of shocked, surprised, and disappointed that nobody had told me how difficult mothering really was, or... I, I mean, you're always told, uh, you know, when you, you're always asked, when are you going to have kids? Oh, like have kids, have kids. And then when I actually did it, I was like, this is not fun. This is actually mm-hmm. not what it looks like on Instagram at all. And how come nobody told me? So on one hand, I'm talking about the honest truth in my own experience, in my own words, so that other women are completely shocked when they have kids and they're like, wait a second, this is actually me turning into a different person and I'm never going to have that life again. And I try not to be negative about it. Um, but the, uh, I just speak the truth. So one of one reason why I do it is because I don't think there's enough people talking about how freaking hard it actually is. And it's not like just hard in the first year or two. Like I'm five mm-hmm. years in and it's just hard. It's just and the hardest. And it's not just hard because you had three at one time. Yeah, I, I don't right. think that's true. Well, that, that probably adds a little bit to it. It does add, that, but I was going to say that does add a little bit to it, right? Because the the physical, I mean, just imagine the physical thing of, of everything that we've had with each individual kid, right? And then you're kind of like throwing two more kids at at the situation. So I do feel like it is a little bit more um, difficult, but I and not to scare you, mine is 19 and it's hard. And it's hard in a lot of different ways. Like you guys are in the the physical, the physical hardship hard. of motherhood, um, where you're still physically in, in, in it. But at some point it becomes emotional. And sh- imagine that she's gonna have three teenagers at one time, Asma. I yeah. know. But yeah, actually, she so, has that to look forward to, I think. I think <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of amazing, amazing, beautiful ways. But, you know, you know, part of us, I recently posted something in our group about um, how super the, the concept of saying we're super moms and we're amazing and awesome. Yes, we are all those things. But on some point, 
it does sabotage motherhood because we're just in this constant quest to to get that title, right? Like, oh, I'm going to make everything look easy. I'm going to cut off. I'm going to cut my sandwiches in little, you know, dinosaur shapes. shapes. <laughs> and I'm going to make my kids a note. I write my kids a note on lunch the first day of school. And that is it. Okay. And, and they expect it. They get excited about it. Like I'm not trying to write them notes every single day. And like, you know, what do they do with the origami? Yeah. I'm not doing any of that (laughs) stuff. And if you do cool, but okay. So how do you feel? And I feel like you are doing this. It sounds like I'm in on your social media, you're kind of taking ownership of, you know, dispelling that super mom title and the impacts that it actually has on women that might not know what's going on. So like, what do you feel is, as somebody who is a social media influencer, what do you feel is your kind of responsibility to dispel that? Or maybe you don't feel like you need to dispel that, um, that belief. Yeah, I do. I do feel like, at least in the previous years, maybe not as much now is like, I did want to dispel that myth of this, like super mom and, and all that, because it's it's just not possible. And And yes, I did have three at once. I only know this journey. I, I, that's all I yes. know. Um, but it, you can't do it alone. Uh, it looks like on Instagram, everyone's doing everything alone and, and no Try one's themselves. doing it alone. And, and maybe there's some people doing it alone, but I can like pretty much guarantee you they've got like a lot of mental health um, struggles <laughs> because you can't, yes. it's not possible. Like women can't be expected to go from being the, like doing all of the things they used to do before kids and then like add kids to the picture and then you know, produce the same output. Like it's just not fair. It's not possible. And that's why I hate that whole super mom mentality because although I'm an amazing epic mom and I'm the best mom for my kids, like I will not sacrifice like my mental health or my physical health for the sake of this title of, of super mom. Like it's, yeah, we're, we're human. We're, we're supposed to be human. We're supposed to have limitations. So I, I, I don't like that. Um, and, uh, like one of my teachers on say Tamara Gray, she, she spoke about this before I had kids about how, um, the, the whole mentality of, of super mom was, was really a way for women to kind of uh, like a lot of, for on one hand, it was like a lot of women who wanted to control every aspect of the situation. And it had a lot to do with control and anxiety that came from uh, that made them want to be in control of everything. So it's it's definitely not not healthy at all and um yeah, it doesn't mean if if you don't call yourself a super mom it doesn't mean you're not an amazing mom because yes, I I think I'm an amazing mom and I don't cut my kids lunch into hearts. I don't even know what they took for lunch today. I know they're going to be having a good lunch, but <laughs> I, I yeah, you don't have to be part of every single aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I read somewhere that super mom was actually um, a social construct created by a man so that we can continue to do all of the work, you know, go work outside of the house full time, but also come back and clock in here. And while you're at work, you're the one who's going to sacrifice your work time. If somebody is sick at school or if somebody has an after school thing, you're the one that's expected to manage all of that. Um, you know, pickups, drop-offs, that's all her domain because she's a super mom. She can do it all. No, it's because society decided that we needed to do it all because we didn't want to put it on the men because we know men with one menstrual cramp will double over and die. But like in the meantime, like all of the hard things women will continue to do and carry the crux of society because we've done it since the beginning of time. Like we are literally the answer to a man's prayer because he was lonely. Allah sent him 
Hawa, he didn't send him Abdullah. You know, so it's like it's because women get the job done. You know, so I think super mom is a way to sabotage ourselves because, like you said, Sadaf, every single last one of us is super. We pushed human, we nourished human beings inside of our bodies. We continue to nourish them outside of our bodies. So anything outside of that, I think is just icing. Like anything else we do, the dinosaur sandwiches or, you know, whatever hand clothed, hand sewn clothes, we can make them. That's all I say. If you like it and that floats your boat, that's totally fine. Do it. But for some of us, that's not what serves us in our mothering journey. So I really appreciate how real you are about that because seeing somebody like you talking about, this is really hard. At first, I, when I read those, I was like, oh, that's because she had three three at the same time. Then I was like, no, what she's saying is true. Whether you have one, you know, or you have three, you have seven at once. Like it is all hard and it all requires a team effort. Um, What Hillary Clinton, it takes a village. It literally takes a village because I know, that's how mine were raised. And I really, really pray that everybody has the same kind of village type support in their home communities, wherever they are, especially in the West, where this myth of super mom is perpetuated so much to make us do more than we're humanly capable of doing or should be doing at the expense of our mental health. Um, I hope that every single one of us has that village to fall back on. So just right segueing right into that. Um, besides society, Obviously, I've already said society and this super mom myth is a pressure on mom. But where else are all of these external pressures, well, external or internal pressures from mom uh, on moms coming from, and what role are they playing in her mental health? Yeah, this is like I was thinking about what I would say for this, and you know, it's it's just me to be like completely honest. So that's what I'm gonna say. Number one, it comes from ourselves. Uh, a lot of us, um, and me as well. Like, I'm an overcoming perfectionist. Uh, just like I want to be the best at my job. Just like I want to be the best at content creation. Like I want to be the best mom. So when I realize, like, oh wait a second, like I can't do this all by myself. And like, no matter how hard I work, no matter how little I sleep, I'm not getting better at this. <laughs> you know, this is just what it is now. Like, this is just me. So a lot of the pressure came from myself. It's like that line that hopefully many of you have heard saying like, mommy knows best. You can take gather all this data. And then me being like this logical A type personality, like gather this data. And then I'm going to sift through it and choose one of them or none of them. And I'm going to choose what what works for me. For me, part of my journey was I was going to do everything the exact opposite. And putting putting that external pressure on myself, like I'm going to be the person who's there for every single thing. And and honestly, you put yourself into until my own physical health. It wasn't even a mental health. My physical health took a toll. So you can be kind of on both sides of the spectrum and co- still come sadly to the same place. Why? Because regardless, I think the, the moral of the story is we're all getting that pressure one way or the other, externally and internally. So thank you so much for sharing that story. And, and, I, and I'm going to just ask a very... Um, I'm just going to be very blunt. There are people that cannot afford um, the lifestyle that maybe you and Osma has or or have that luxury, right, to do that. I have to say I was one of those. In the beginning, I had kids very young, and my husband was just starting a career. He never changed a diaper. Why? He was working 80 hours a week. I mean, he literally was working. He was physically not there. I did not have the family support. I literally did everything. 
everything until we became a little bit more um, mature as far as, you know, uh, we're, we're moving on in our, our, our earning journey. What do people like that do? What kind of so resources, what kind of things can we provide them? Because there are going to be some people that are looking at this or listening to this being like, yeah, I, d I don't have like your mom. I have five kids. We're living in a house. I'm doing what I need to do in order to survive. What kind of things can we help or at least some support that we can give those women that don't have the luxury of having a nanny, you know, make their sandwiches or whatever the case may be? Yeah, that that's definitely like the majority of people. Um, I had kids when I was older, too. And yes, we're very privileged and, and I work as well. So we're able to cover all of those costs. Um, and some of the things that I'll mention will also not be accessible to you, but being able to ask for help and take help. So when your friend says or when your friend offers to babysit, actually taking her up on the offer. 100% of people have not taken me up on my offer when I ask them. Because I have help, I'm available and mobile and I'm okay with people being dropped over, but nobody has ever taken me up on my offer. And I think it has to do a lot with this internal pressure of like, I can do it myself. I don't want to burden her. But I'm just saying right now to all of you listening, if someone asks you, it's coming from a place of love and they want to support you. So even if you just once in your life, take them up on the offer, but just just let people help and, and ask for their help too. Um, another thing is just joining like community um, like whether they have like mommy groups or I know the masjid sometimes does, sometimes does, even if you're taking your kids along, just getting out there and having those conversations with people just to lighten your load a bit mentally. Um, if you can't afford the therapy or, or that kind of thing, um, just so you have someone to talk to. And I, I honestly feel it's easier to talk to people that you might never see again. <laughs> so sometimes it's nice to just be mm -hmm. like, you know, this is what I'm struggling with in my motherhood journey. And then you're like, I can tell them anything like, you know, I'm not going to see them again. And, and you sort of don't feel that judgment. Um, Until you see them at a, yeah. dinner, a dinner party like the next week. And <laughs> you're like, you oh my God, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those are just some ideas. And and then um, really remembering that Allah SWT doesn't burden a soul with with more than you can bear. And I know that's, that's hard. Um, I always believe in like using the Quran as healing and also taking other action. So I'm a big, um, like I, I like to... Uh, promote both of those. So I do believe like turning to the Quran and doing simple things like making sure you're praying at the beginning of prayer time. Um, if you can't wake up for the hajjud, that will change your life. Obviously, if you're sleep deprived, it, it gets harder or you might be up anyways at that time. Um, so so things like that. But it is it is extremely tough. I do know that I'm incredibly blessed in that sense. And I give myself credit because not every mother would be okay even admitting that she has help. I mean, I know tons of content creators who have nannies and like nobody oh. is offering that up. <laughs> Nobody's offering that information because there's a bit of guilt and shame associated with it. And and maybe I'm older and I don't have that guilt and shame you don't because care. I'm older, but I literally am like, I wish everyone could have help, even if it's not a nanny, but I wish even once a week you had someone come to your house just so you could be yourself yes. again. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, and that's and that's why I asked this that question pointedly. So I really appreciate your your honesty because there are ways that are non and honestly, I choose to spend my money now on somebody cleaning my toilets 
versus like a designer handbag, right? Mm -hmm. I could do both if I wanted to, but I choose not. And again, those are choices that you make because I'm a better mom showing up to their games and in doing those things that I want to do versus feeling like I have to do. And like you said, housework is not mothering. And that's something I do want to point out, regardless of income or whatever the case may be, both partners can participate in the housework because we're both making the mess and teaching your kids as they get older to be a part of, again, this is not an allowance system where you have to do the, no, you're all a part of a family and this is things that we need to do to be part of a family. So I definitely appreciate your honesty. And I did want to just throw, there are other things that we can do that don't involve money and, and accepting help is the number one thing that I wanted you to say. I'm so glad that you said that because we as women don't accept help. And I had somebody say this to me because I was one of those women that I was like, no, I got you. I got you. I got you. She was like, you, somebody said to me, you take away the privilege of doing me doing something for you when you do so many things for other people. And it was that statement. And I remember thinking, I just don't want to be a burden not recognizing people want to do things to help you. You're removing so blessings for that person. You're, you're, yeah. you're removing blessings from that person. And so it was that, that convert, that was kind of what was the switch that I was like, oh, you're right. So now I take full advantage. They're like, do you want, I'm like, yes. Do you mind picking this up on your way over here or DoorDash? I mean, so yes, I am a recovering, uh, not willing to accept help person. Do it so all. She's a recovering do it all. I'm actually feeling called out, Sadaf, because- and I'm glad because I'm doing an audit really quickly. And in four <laughs> years of podcasting, what is it? 202 episodes, 102,000 downloads. Zeba, I have never told the audience that I had a nanny. Like I had a nanny through oh. the pandemic. All right. So I've never, and I have to say, I've never had a nanny in my life. Yeah. Okay. So I had a nanny from the time my kids were really little And it was because I couldn't do multiple soccer schedules. And she started like on Saturdays only. And then by the time I had my fourth child, she just became full time. And I was the same. I I slept in and I got up to drop off my children to school because hugging them goodbye and being there to pick them up was me mothering. Like I'm the face that they see. That was important to me while I caught up on my sleep from my night shifts or whatever it was. So no, I did not dress them. And I outsourced bathing. That was the biggest thing to Mm. me. I have not bathed my children in years because I hated bath time. I know people love bath time, but what is so special about children making a mess in the bathroom and in your face and sometimes pooping, guys? In the bathtub. Like you're afraid of human stew, like a baby's poop in the bathtub. And I don't love them enough to take that out. I don't. I told my husband, I don't love them that much. I'm sorry. You know? (laughs) So that would make me a worse mother. And I think it helped my mothering a lot to have the nanny who literally, guys, I'm not even joking. I think like two months ago is when I finally let her go. (laughs) So I am being real. Like I have had a nanny all of this time. And I will say at one point, my entire salary was paid for the nanny when I was a resident. And I'm not sorry, because as you guys do know on the podcast, I had three children in medical training, which is dumb, Mm -hmm. but I did it anyway. It was subhanAllah their Naseeb. It was our Naseeb. And, you know, the nanny saved all of our lives. So, you know, whatever resources you can put aside. 
This month's episodes are sponsored by Amana Mutual Funds Trust. Find out more at amanafunds.com. That's A-M-A-N-A funds.com. Any comments or statements made in these episodes do not necessarily reflect those of Saturna Capital Corporation, Saturna Brokerage Services, formerly Investors National Corporation, or their affiliates. if I'm going to pose this question to you. And then I think we're all as a team going to work on solutions because this is really mm-hmm. important, but how can we improve the state of Muslim moms, especially in the West? Mm-hmm. Because we do not have the joint family systems. Mm-hmm. We don't all have the extended family systems that our parents um, and the generations before them grew up with. Why is it, you know, how do we improve that state and why is it so critical that we do? So I think this, improvement can't come from just the women doing something alone. Um, The reason why I have help and don't feel embarrassed or guilt about the help is because of my husband. Um, So I think that improving the state of Muslim moms is is not going to come just from something we do. It's going to come from like the conversations those of us who have help have with our spouses and encourage them to have it with their group of friends. Because I do feel like, especially depending on how the financials work, um, your husband, your spouse has to be on board with this idea. And especially if they also come from a place where their mom didn't have help um, and they're going to think like, no, we don't need this. Like what else can we do? Because th- again, there is a lot of shame and guilt. So I I definitely think that it, it's going to come from uh, not just like the women doing something. I think it's bringing the men on board uh, and, and advocating um, for that. And, and a lot of, uh, even with my parenting philosophy and everything, like a lot of it is working and it's, it's going well. And, and, uh, the reason why I work and everything is because my husband is like my number one supporter and, and he wants me to be doing well. And he wants women to be in that elevated status, uh, that the Prophet talks about that Allah gave us, right? So I think it's a lot of education, not for the women necessarily, but for the men. Um, what women can do is just kind of kick kick away um, uh, that shame and guilt by remembering that most of us whose parents grew up back home, I'm from Pakistan, they all had nannies. <laughs> they all had ayahs. I know, right? <laughs> Nobody cooks and cleans back there. So yeah. like get rid of that guilt and shame because while your mom may have done everything alone when she immigrated here, like her mom definitely didn't teach her that. Like she didn't teach her that lifestyle. So mm-hmm. it's it's just remembering your roots and your ancestors. And and even at the time of the Prophet like his his mom gave him away when he was little so that he could be brought up in a city that was less rough, like a city that was more nurturing to little kids. And he's our greatest example, the Prophet So the next time somebody tells you like, oh, like you shouldn't get help, literally just bring up that story and be like, that's part of our culture. That's part of our Islam. Like it's it's who we aspire to, to be like. So um, I think those are kind of key, but definitely bringing the men on board uh, as well, not just for the financial aspect, but just because they're part of the parenting and upbringing too. It's, it's not just you. Um, and, and once they kind of recognize the the hardships that you face as a mother that can really change, honestly, the next generation of mothers and, and how they kind of experience motherhood. I hope <laughs> at least that's so funny because I have my daughter who was like, hail to the no, I'm not going to be a mom. Oh, 
Sometimes she my has zero interest. She was like, why like, no. would anybody voluntarily do that to themselves? And I was like, well, at least you're honest, honey. At least you're honest. So, I mean, and I would actually add, you know, I appreciate that. I mean, I have three boys. So, like, I totally appreciate getting the boys on board. However, a lot of the hate that women get are from other women. Mm-hmm. And I really want to point that out. It's the the undercurrent comments. It's the, you know, commentary. It's the the fake um, support. So I would even venture to say, women, we need to not be doing this because we didn't do this. Even anthropologically, we're talking about going to the beginning of time. We're talking about going past the prophet, right? We did this as a community, meaning the men went out together to hunt, to hunt, and the women worked together to gather. So we need to remember that it's literally written in our DNA, and it's only in the last two generations, I would even gather one and a half, that we've been forced to do this super mom thing. I'm going to work and do things at home and raise my kids and look hot and sexy while I'm doing it right? It's only in this. And by the way, you add the social media and the Instagram part of it. And then it's even further. Let's add the filters. Let's add this. So you're literally diluting what motherhood actually looks like. So I would even say, guys, we need to stop doing that because that's not even anthropologically, biologically what we were supposed to be doing on this motherhood parenthood journey. I love yeah. this conversation and what you guys have, have set up because as I just put my, my cheese in my mouth because I'm hungry yeah. and I'm like, I'm hungry. I'm multitasking. I'm like, I have a headache. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat and do this Self-care. podcast at the same time. Absolutely. Self-care. I'm starving. <laughs> Absolutely. Now what I did uh, want to offer the audience was, you know, simple solutions in the West that we can use for those of us. Like, I mean, I had a new job, new city, new husband, new pregnancy. And so it was like a setup for disaster. And like my mom had already told me, she's like, you are going to have the worst postpartum depression. Let me just tell you. And I was like, I'm not going to have it. Like I'm not quote unquote, like, you know, I thought it was weak. And I was like, I did not inherit that weak gene. Oh, I got that gene. And that gene is not weak. That was a strong gene. Let me tell you. Um, so you can't, you just can't fight um, the mental health battle if you're not willing to have the insight to call it what it is. And as a physician, not being willing to call it what it is, is pretty dang embarrassing, but that's how bad uh, denial can be. And I think that's why it was really important when my husband and I had small children and we didn't really have a community. We didn't know that many people. uh, What we had kind of designed was this little matrix of, okay, well, we don't want to trust any strangers with our babies, but we trust these Muslim couples, a couple that we've met. We knew like three or four at that point. And we create this matrix of a babysitting system. Like, okay, like one night we'll take all the kids and they can all three couples go out and then we'll just make a rotation on a monthly basis. And I think we did it. uh, One of the families did it like two times. We didn't even end up dropping our kids off because we were um, out of town, but it didn't work. But these were like simple things that we could do, like set up a matrix of like meals. I mean, you're cooking anyway. So if you have like two or three couples, you kind of know the allergies and the taste of the family. Like, let me just make four servings of that so that I can share a meal with each of these girls when they're cooking, they can share with me. And then look at that at the end of the day, like I have four different meals 
that we just shared. And, you know, it's just, it's not even a bar. I guess it's sort of a barter system, but it's a community support system. Simple things that don't cost a lot of money that we can do together as a team. And it doesn't have to be the entire community doing it. Like pick, you know, really like what all the articles and research say you need like four best girlfriends. Like, yeah, I hear you, Sadaf, when you're saying like, we have to train the men and educate the men. I totally agree with that. But at the end of the day, who does the work? Hoa right? Like the women do the work. So the women can be cooking, created the matrix for the babysitting, drop-offs, pickups. I mean, that's huge, especially as the kids get older. So that this is one advantage you have, all of your kids will be going to the same schools at the same time. Because when you have like an elementary, a middle and a high school, you have three different pickups and drop-off times. So lean on those sisters and be like, hey, I'm get, you do this week of pickups. I'll do this week of drop-offs. Those kinds of carpool systems will serve you so much, especially if you're somebody who works outside of the home or, you know, if you're in a meeting or something like that, I call on my girlfriends all the time because I have like no shame when it comes to, yeah, I'm late at this meeting or I'm on the other side of town. I can't pick up my kid. I'm at a doctor's appointment. Can you go grab him or, you know, drop off dinner tonight because I'm not home. My husband's not going to make it. Um, those are simple little um, like phone matrices, babysitting matrices, food prep matrices that, again, are not mothering, but they are mothering the mother. So that it helps her have the uh, capacity and the cup space to now pour on her children because she's full. Um, and I think it's really important for us to do this in the West because back home, you know, you had your hanto living down the street or you could go to your uncle's for dinner or your mom just comes over and cooks. Or like Sadaf said, a lot of overseas families, it is a custom to have hired help to do a lot of those things for you, the non-mothering duties. And so since we don't have that, where can we make up for it for each other? Uh, with each other. And I think that that's kind of one of the answers that we have to support ourselves when we don't have necessarily all the resources that privileged people do. Um, and may Allah make us all capable one day to afford hiring out everything and outsourcing our non-motherly duties. But until then, mm -hmm. I think it's our responsibility as a community to come together to inform moms. One of the things, you know, Southern, you were very open and honest about your mental health journey, which by the way, super appreciate because we don't like to talk about that either. But what are the, some of the things that you learned during that journey that you could share um, with our audience about one, some things to look for, some things to have done and put in place outside of outsourcing those physical um, mothering duties. You mean with respect to mental health and that struggle? Yeah. 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 I think something that I wish I had done was just shared uh, and, and spoke openly about what I was feeling before I actually even had the kids. Um, I spent the entire pregnancy year kind of cooped up in my house, very depressed, didn't really talk to anybody about how I was feeling, about my fears and anxieties, and I wish I had been more open about that. Um, and then when I did have the kids, I, I started uh, going to therapy um, and, and she really helped me. And, and one of the things that she helped me with, which anyone can do, is going back to the things I loved doing uh, before I was a mom. And it was just everything was stopping me from doing that. And, and the things I love doing is kind of what you mentioned, you know, going to handmade markets, just grabbing a coffee and, and browsing the mall, even if I'm not buying, just, you know, walking around and being inspired by the different displays. So trying to force yourself, no matter how much your brain is telling you, no, you're too tired, don't go just like once a week doing something that you used to do and love. And, and maybe you'll find that you don't love it anymore. But I'm pretty sure you're going to feel refreshed.
refreshed after after doing that. Um, and then just basic things, uh, hopping in the shower. There's moments where you're going to feel like, and I still feel like this is too much. I can't do this anymore. I'm, you know, I want to run away from home. Uh, it's just not, it's not just teens that feel like that. Moms do too. Um, and I just hop in the shower and I feel like the shower makes everything better. It's like it washes away. I do like mentally picture like washing away the overwhelm. I think that helps as well. Um, and, and that's really helpful. And then, um, getting on a call just with anyone, anyone who will take me, anyone who's available. Um, the, the texting thing, I know everyone's texting now, but just calling someone and having that connection and just really starting the conversation with like, Hey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed with motherhood. And I did that just on Friday. Um, and you know, you end up talking to a girlfriend, you laugh a little, and then you're like, wait, like, this is hard, and I'm going to be okay. And and you just remember that, like, yeah, I, I can do hard things, I'm going to continue to do hard things. But I just feel a little bit happier now after talking to her. So those are things that anyone can do and, and start doing them before try to do them before you reach that point of no return. Um, and it'll become a habit so that you you, you don't reach that really, really low point as, as often, inshallah. My mental health journey is that the hajjud in the morning, everybody knows, like I have to wake up in the, if I don't get that time, it really impacts the rest of my day. And even how I view, the same thing can happen to me on another day, but then I'll view it in a more negative way on those days that I don't. So I love that. And by the way, the hajjud is just like extra prayer. It's considered meditation. My, for those people that are, are not Muslim that listen to our journey. And honestly, it's something I really um, instruct my own clients, like get up, even if it's getting up 15 minutes earlier than you normally get to, but having that mindfulness time and space really does um, can change your outlook on life. And during the summer months or when it's warmer, when it's, you know, a little bit warmer than 64 degrees, like how Uzma would have it, sitting outside and enjoying that time physically outside is, is, is key. So I absolutely love that. But, you know, the one thing, it's funny, as you were bringing up, I wish I would have shared, you know, everybody, I was that mom that everyone thought oh, is the super mom and she's doing this and this and this. But what people didn't understand was me over overmothering was a way for me to handle my own anxiety. And I had to feel in control. And by the way, it does manifest itself like that. I had, I had, um, and have chronic anxiety. I didn't have the depression. I had chronic anxiety and how that manifested itself was overmothering, trying to be in control of every little thing because I didn't have that happen to me. So it can look like so many different ways, but to your point, Sadaf, unless we talk about it, like, I would just accept the compliment, like, yeah, but really, I'm like, you have no clue what the hell I'm hiding. And that's why I have to do that. Because if I don't do that, I'm going to think something atrocious is going to happen to my kid during the day, if I don't do X and Y and Z before they leave. Right. And so that's another way that it manifests itself. So regulating um, and, and having these frank conversations to be like, listen, that's not true. And if you're trying to portray your life, there are a couple social media per people that I'm not going to name that try to portray, portray their life. And Uzma knows who I'm talking about. I'm just like, you're lying, not only to yourself, but to everybody else that watches you, because that is just not a sustainable way to live. 
And yeah. we need to fi- figure that out in order to do anything to have any impact on mental health um, in the mothering community, let alone in the Muslim mothering community, when we have an extra layer of things that we have to be anxious about in raising yeah. our kids in a Western world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's always a story behind like the super mom or, you know, you see, oh, yeah. you see a certain quality in, in a woman or a mother that you really like. There's always a story. Uh, for me, people are like, how are you so chill? Like, you know, how are you so calm? with the kids and I'm like well there's three of them I I, I literally yeah, Allah, you Allah, have to be yeah he took away that <laughs> ability that ability you have to be calm yeah, so yeah it's like oh you just uh like I like I, I anyone can come watch my kids like we don't you know as long as I kind of know them or whatever we trust them like I'm not the kids will literally eat off the floor and I'm like they're gonna be fine that's they where can, I put the food yeah, they, they can manage. That's where they're going to eat it from anyway. So maybe yeah. it's there. They can manage themselves. Like they play outside, whatever. And everyone's like, how are you so chill? Like, aren't you worried about this, this and that? And I'm like, no, as soon as Ellis Monothala gave me three, like I realized that he actually wanted me to work on that anxiety because mm-hmm. now yeah. it's like, I know. You have to. Yeah, I know he's the one who's caring for them. I can't physically yeah. be like I only have two hands I can only hold two people's hands so the third kid like you just pray like they're gonna be fine <laughs> yeah. yeah they're gonna be fine like who's the one who's taking care care of them it's, yeah. it's not us and that's another thing at the end of the day for with Muslim moms is just remembering that like yes these kids are in your care and it is your duty up to a certain age but at the end of the day like Ellis Manotala is the one who is the ultimate protector and yeah. he is the one caring for them and we just have to try our best and, and even if we look at the stories of other women in Islam, like there's not so many stories about like mothering or any like mm-hmm. women are more emphasized for their intelligence or or you yeah. know other things. It's it's not so just not being so hard on yourself. This is one aspect of who you are. Society has just made it every aspect, but it's not you know the end all be all. There's so many more facets to who you are. This is just one one part. Yeah. No, I love that reminder too. That's super important. But, um, and it may stem from, you know, like the myth of the super mom too. It's like your mother, your mother, your mother, that hadith, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. our status is so elevated as mother. So I think maybe we feel that pressure Mm -hmm. to be perfect. And it, that's not what Prophet Sallallahu said at all. (laughs) You know, he just said, honor your mother because she does, you know, like the, the one Sahaba who was like, I carried my mom for Hajj on my back the whole time that I pay her back for, you know, what she did for me. And he was like, you didn't pay her back for one of her labor pains. Mm-hmm. So it's like, literally that that's it. We're done. We had the yeah. labor pains. It's over. You know, <laughs> like our responsibility are to, to perfection is over after that. Cause we did it. Yeah. Um, so I do not feel the burden of perfection anymore. And I, have never felt so liberated as a mom, not just because mine are pretty self-sufficient now too, alhamdulillah. But I did that very young too. I was forbidden from having any more children by my friends because I never knew where my children were. Um, they were just always playing. So somebody would find my child and be like, you forgot them at the masjid again. And it's like, <laughs> it was at the masjid. <laughs> you know, oh Allah God. wanted them there, obviously for the second jamaah. <laughs> they were fine, right? So- yeah, I will not be having any more for multiple reasons. That is one of them. But, you know, it's like there's a sukun that you get, a peace that you get from not worrying so much. Because going back to the beginning, you know, at our intro portion, there's our work. We do the best that we can. I obviously can do better keeping tabs of my children. But um, we do the best that we can. And the rest is Allah's work, to your point, Sadaf. And that is just 
that is going to save so much mental anguish for a lot of the moms out there still struggling with this uh, myth of perfection. But I promise you, it's not real. A lot of it is self-imposed. The little bit that is externally uh, imposed, it's so easy to ignore once you reach a certain point. And if you're not there yet and you're one of those anxious moms and needs a place to call, our DMs are always open for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Our comments are always open for you. Uh, We'll give you our cell phone number if you really, really want it. And you can call us and you can just try Not mine. You can call Uzma. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm the one who stays at Mine is always on do not disturb. (laughs) Yes, that is true uh, because she protects her boundaries. So... We like to end the podcast setup with a uh, rapid fire segment. And it's just some fun questions because we talked about a lot of heavy stuff right now and we want the audience to get to know you better. So these are super fun. Top of mind is always uh, the correct answer on here. And we like to kick it off with our first question, which is always what book are you reading right now? Ooh, okay. I'm reading um, How I Survived a Chinese Concentration Camp. Wow, that is a very deep book, but yes. but it's to your work that you're doing right now, which of course we're going to link in our show notes. Yeah, yeah so I'm doing work with the Uyghurs and I started reading that. It's awesome. I definitely recommend it. Okay, well, we were trying to do, keep this light, but that does not sound Sorry. I'm always working. I don't read anything light, really. Oh, so. okay. All right. <laughs> if you could learn any language in one week, which would it be? Arabic came to mind. I can read it, but I don't, you know, understand it and I can't speak um, conversationally. So Arabic came to mind. Yeah. Arabic sounds good. Mm -hmm. All right. What's uh, one thing about you that surprises other people? Oh, um, that I am actually a really good cook. Oh, that surprises people. I'm a little bit offended. It surprises them because I never cook. Like I I trained with a chef. Like I'm not a chef, but I took courses with a chef when I got married and I cook really, really well. I just never do it. Yeah. Okay. We've talked a lot about growing and, uh, you know, growth mindsets, changing our mindsets about motherhood. Um, And it's different for everybody depending on the age that you are. But based on that conversation, what age do you think is the best age? to be when you have like the most like understanding to have kids or just to be just to know what's truth and what's false oh i would say but can look at an ig account and be like i ain't real i would say this age right now i'm 37 i'm 37 this has been the year yeah i love it i mean you got it a lot earlier than uh, than a lot of us did yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was in my 40s girl before that happened to be honest when i stopped when I realize that caring about what other people like really does not serve me in any way and harms my mental mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. It was, I was 38. Yeah. That's so interesting. I was not far. I'm not that old. And now I'm just honest. Now I'm just like, I had a friend who was like, wanted to go get her a birthday lunch or something. I'm just going to be blunt about this. I was like, yeah, I'm not in the mental space to take you. I'll see you next week. I mean, I, you know, in back in the day, you'd have to like pretend to be like, Oh, I'm a little bit now. I'm like, I'm not busy. I just want to yeah. do it. I love you. But I just don't want to do it right now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't wouldn't be good company. And there's a beauty in accepting the freedom, the freedom of that. And that doesn't happen in your twenties, ladies. <laughs> as much as I, I hate know, to tell I wish. you, I was not that that um, evolved until no. thirty eight, actually. So I'm going to ask oh, yeah, one final question. I don't care I like that we're that. out of time. Uh, you talked about calling somebody because you like to still use the phone. Mm-hmm. That does not sound like fun to me. I'm yeah. a texter. <laughs> I'm texter too. When the phone rings, like I have PTSD from like pages. I, I know your heart starts My beating. My heart like, starts beating oh, fast. No. Like, why do they want to talk to me? Um, 
So who's the person? And you can use your mm. their name or not. It's totally your choice. Who's the person you talk to when you need a listening ear? Ooh, so it, it's actually my husband who I talk to oh, when I need a listening that. ear. Yeah, he is always there for me. Um, and on Friday, it was my my friend, Sidra, um, because she just became a new mom. And, and so I Aww. feel useful to her. Like, I feel useful. Yes. But then I know. Um, Sometimes that empowers you, feel, makes you feel empowered. Yeah, yeah. And then she also helps helps me. So I don't hold back either. I still complain about, even though mine are five, I, I still complain about it to her. And then she complains about hers. And then we feel better. Aww, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We'll call it sharing notes and not complaining because none of us are complaining. Yes. We are just sharing our experiences, which are absolutely legitimate and it should be allowed. And we should not be made to feel guilty for not loving every second of motherhood because I swear to God, there's more unlovable moments than there are lovable ones. Agreed. 100%. 100%. But those moments that are lovable, they're freaking amazing. They're everything. That's why we still do it. Thank you so much, Sadev, for for coming on the show and letting us know um, all about your take on motherhood. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.